Well, uh, this weekend is uh, Shavuot, really a uh, celebration of the land when we read about it in the Bible. It is, a, it is a very important holiday in the text of the scripture when it, when it occurs, yet uh, because of the removal of most Jewish people from agriculture, uh, and that of course means the diaspora Jewish world, not so much the Jewish world in Israel, but the Jewish world outside of Israel, uh, that uh, the holiday kind of like, if, if you were to ask someone, what does Shavuot mean? You say, well, I kind of know what we do, but I'm not quite sure about, you know, why it's so important or, or, or what it is. Uh, yes, we eat dairy products, uh, sweet dairy products like cheesecake, right? Uh, and blintzes and things like that. Uh, and uh, oftentimes we decorate a synagogue with flowers. I remember that from, from, uh, from growing up. Uh, in the diaspora outside of Israel, it's a two-day holiday, and on the second day, uh, you say Yiskor. That's a, a tradition uh, where we remember our deceased loved ones. But, uh, oh, oh, yes, and of course, the tradition, with a capital T, the tradition is, is that that's when Moses received the Torah at Mount uh, Sinai. And so we celebrate it by reading the Ten Commandments oftentimes, and, and uh, by... Um, uh, um, uh, remembering that event. Then there's another tradition that goes back. Uh, it's not that old. Uh, it, uh, you know, it's only like 500 years old. And that is of staying up all night and reading and studying a particular uh, rabbinic anthology. Uh, and uh, that goes back to the Kabbalistic uh, uh, time in Judaism. And uh, uh, the reason for staying up all night, right, is... Uh, because of a midrash, a story about the Jewish people at Sinai that they overslept the morning when God gave us the Torah. So I thought that the tradition ought to be then we should go to bed at nine o'clock at night or something. But no, the tradition is just to stay up all night. Of course, that's just, just the story. It's not in the, not in the Bible. Uh, and it goes back uh, to um, the 15th century, 16th century. And that's kind of interesting uh, as well. But what we want to do, uh, really, to this morning, tonight, and tomorrow, uh, is to understand all the different aspects of this important holiday uh, for us. And so we want to begin with um, uh, looking at it in the text of the Bible. And that uh, is always the best thing to do. So in the book of Leviticus... In chapter 23, beginning in verse 15, I always like to start there. You could start in the next verse, but we'll start in verse 15 of Leviticus 23. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering, made of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. Along with the bread, you shall present seven one-year-old male lambs without defect, and a bull of the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their libations, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. 
You shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs, one year old, for a sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest then shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering with two lambs before the Lord. They are to be holy to the Lord for the priest. On the same day, you shall make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It is to be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. So obviously from reading this, we can tell this has to do with agriculture. It has to do with uh, the, the land uh, of Israel. This is not something that they could do in the wilderness. It's, this had to do with when they enter the land and when they begin to grow crops uh, and the land begins uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to prosper. So the first thing we see in verse 15, uh, you should be familiar with that a little bit uh, when it says, you shall count after the day of your Sabbath when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering uh, as seven complete Sabbaths. Now, when, I, when it says here, from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering, that tells us there's a beginning of the counting of these 50 days. And if you remember, after Passover, we had a special service called Yom Habikurim. Remember that? That is the Feast of First Fruits. See, this can be confusing because there's technically two feasts of first fruits. Okay? The first one comes right after Passover. And that is the beginning of the barley harvest. And, uh, and that was the day when Yeshua rose from the dead uh, on that very same day. But uh, uh, during the uh, time of the celebration of Passover, right after Passover, is this offering of first fruits. And the offering of a first fruits meant that you were being reminded that the land belongs to God. See? and that you're trusting him, you're giving him the beginning of it, giving it back to him, and trusting that he's going to provide a full harvest. Okay, So now it says, this is the springtime, so now uh, it is this season of, uh, of the spring harvest. So you count 50 days from the day, uh, from the day when you brought in that, that first fruits, you count 49 days, seven Sabbaths, and then, then there's the next day, right? So today, uh, in the traditional counting, is the seventh Sabbath. And it just so happens that it is actually on Shabbat. Uh, and uh, then tomorrow is the day after, okay? Uh, is uh, that 50th day and time to present a new grain offering uh, to the Lord. Now, what we know uh, is, is that this was, was wheat. In fact, it even says uh, that in some other uh, uh, passages that talk about this. For example, in Exodus chapter 34, we also read about this holiday. There it is called, literally, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Sevens. That's what Shavuot means, okay? Sevens. Right? And you shall celebrate the Feast of Weeks, that is, the first fruits of the wheat harvest. See? Uh, and we'll just, we'll stop right there. Then it's talking about, um, it's talking about Sukkot after that. But it's called the Feast of Weeks. 
the first fruits of the wheat, uh, the wheat harvest. So now when you go back to uh, uh, Leviticus chapter 23, it tells us what to do. It says, uh, first of all, it's a new grain offering. Then in verse 17, you shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering. So two loaves uh, of bread baked with leaven. It's kind of unusual. It's kind of an unusual offering. Okay, Two loaves baked uh, with leaven. It has a lot of typological uh, meaning, like a picture uh, of a future events. But oftentimes, as uh, Messiah followers, we are so excited, and rightfully so, to desire to get to those future events that we don't really think about what this festival is in and of itself. Okay? I think the first thing to really recognize and remember, uh, and something we know but we kind of skip over, is that it's an agricultural holiday. Okay? It isn't just like an agricultural holiday in order to be a platform to learn something else. It's an agricultural holiday. God was very interested in the dirt, in, in the seeds, in the stuff that came out of the ground, the, the actual Eretz <laughs> of Eretz Yisrael, right? The Adama of Eretz Yisrael, the dirt, the ground, uh, the land, it, the physical land itself. We don't usually think of uh, these holidays in those terms, but God was so interested in the agriculture that he gave three holidays to celebrate this agriculture. And they are called feasts of ingathering, holidays of ingathering. That meant uh, uh, they were harvests and that people would come from all around the environs of Eretz Yisrael and come to Jerusalem and bring the first fruits. One is called, uh, it's during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but it's that first fruits, that early first fruits of that barley harvest that we talked about. Uh, the sheaf of the wave offering uh, that we read about there in verse 15. Uh, and then 50 days later is this holiday, uh, this late spring harvest uh, of wheat. And then you have in the fall, Sukkot, another uh, a fascinating uh, holiday when it comes to the agriculture because uh, grapes was, a, uh, was predominant in, uh, in that, at, at that holiday, as well as other fruits and, and sort of an end-of-the-year um, end harvest festival. So the first thing is, is that what we read here is that God was very interested in the land itself, right? When you look in uh, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, this is a passage that we read about of all places in the Haggadah uh, because it serves as a very nice, succinct testimony of God bringing the Jewish people out of Egypt into the land. On Passover, we focus on the coming out of Egypt part, but now on Shavuot, we want to focus on the entering the land part. Okay? So it says that at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 26, Then it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring in from your land, that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses 
to establish his name. You know, when we were uh, in, in Israel, both uh, as we were driving along and, and looking at different kinds of trees and then walking in a particular preserve, uh, we saw all kinds of fruits and vegetables uh, that grows, uh, you know, in the, in the land, in, in the Golan, in the northern part of the, of the country. And it is amazing, the, the fruits and vegetables that that little slice of land uh, uh, produces really is amazing when you look at the terrain of the of the whole region. It's amazing. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, uh, in verse three, then it says, "And you shall go to the priest who was in the office at that time, and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God." And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number, but there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And then it says, and he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground, which you, O Lord, has given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before uh, the Lord uh, your God. Uh, and you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you in your household. Now, what's interesting is that uh, you see that when they entered the land, they were supposed to do that. If you only had that text in Deuteronomy 26, you'd think that they only were to do it once. Like when you enter the land, do it once. But what we see here in Leviticus 23 is that there is to be multiple celebrations of the goodness of the land uh, throughout the year and on a, on a cycle every year of remembering the goodness uh, of the land itself. So Israel, this land, what we learn so far is that it's a gift from God, right? Uh, God gives it to the Jewish people as an inheritance and they're to... Uh, uh, enjoy the land and its produce, and to constantly be remembering that the land belongs to God, but he's given it to them, and so they bring this first fruit offering and rejoice uh, before the Lord. This is something that makes Israel very different from all other lands, and that is that the purpose of the land of Israel is not simply to be like a launching ground for the coming of the Messiah. In other words, it's not just, okay, he gave them the land so there'd be a place. Certainly that's part of it, that it'd be a place, but that the land itself testifies of the goodness of God. And so, therefore, uh, it is a holy land. Not only because of the events throughout history that have taken place there, but because this is a particular piece of ground that testifies of the goodness of God. And if you have ever been there, you know that when you visit there, there's something about the land itself. It's not just, oh, I happen to be here and there's a lot of interesting things in this place. 
you know, like if you went to other countries and, you know, visited uh, famous places in a country. But that there's something about just being in the country, being in the place, that is a very unique and uh, special uh, about uh, Eretz, uh, Eretz Yisrael. Okay? So Shavuot is a great day of celebrating the land. And we are, uh, of course, um, living in a day when uh, the question of the land is, uh, you know, certainly a, a very big and important issue among uh, many people. So it's important for us to, you know, on a holiday like Shavuot, remember uh, the land itself uh, and, uh, uh, and, and the goodness of, of the land. Now, it is interesting uh, the importance of the land in the Torah. If you look in um, Exodus chapter 6 for a minute, when God is telling Moses what he's going to do when he brings the Jewish people out of Egypt, you see in verse 6 of uh, Exodus 6, it says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am, uh, I am the Lord. Uh, so now, uh, uh, what is fascinating about this is, there is no specific statement that says, I'm taking you out of bondage to bring you to Mount Sinai to give you the Torah. You could infer that from perhaps, uh, I will take you for my people and I will be your God, maybe. But uh, it's very specific about coming out of the land of Egypt and very specific about going to uh, the land that God would, would bring them to. Uh, and there are many passages uh, like that. For example, what we just read in Deuteronomy 26. What is the testimony? My father was a wandering Aramean. We went down to Egypt. We became enslaved. God uh, brought us out of slavery and brought us to this land. There seems to be uh, a direct relationship with coming out of Egypt and entering the land. Uh, now, some might say, well, you see, the uh, giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai was evidently... Um, not uh, that important because it's not mentioned uh, here. Well, of course, that's not, that's not what we're supposed to get out of this uh, at, at all because the very commands that we know how to observe the holiday is in the Torah. So uh, uh, certainly uh, we should not infer that the giving of the Torah was a second thought or not important or anything like that. But what we do see is, is that the giving of the Torah to the Jewish people is not an end unto itself. That is a very important truth for us. And when you dig down and think about that, that has important repercussions in the way that we live. Because if the Torah was an end unto itself, then the only meaning and purpose of it is doing it. And sadly, when we uh, live that way, it becomes simply a legalistic document and uh, to uh, be obsessed about crossing the T's and dotting the I's because it's an end unto itself. But it was never meant to be an end unto itself. It is a vehicle 
the Torah serves as a vehicle for living in the promised land in a way that demonstrates the reality of the God of Israel. And and so, i.e., a way of life. The Torah is a vehicle. The Torah is given to the people so they would know how to live in the promised land. Not simply, uh, here, do this. But no, this is what you, these are the tools for living successfully uh, in the promised land. But the goal was to live uh, in the promised land. The goal was to live uh, in the, uh, to live in the land. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so, uh, I, the main thing that we want to understand, uh, first and foremost about this holiday is that it's an agricultural holiday, that it's a holiday of the land itself, even different from Sukkot. In Sukkot, when we get there, you'll see that in this very chapter, there is like a dual, uh, a dual meaning of this holiday, okay? Uh, it's given a variety of historical meanings in the text. Uh, not only an agricultural uh, holiday, but Shavuot is unique in that in the text, it is all about this wheat offering, all about these loaves uh, that, are, uh, that are offered. Uh, and so when we think about, uh, you know, the, the day in which we live, when it comes uh, to the land of Israel, uh, we need to be really thankful that we're living in a day where there is a land of Israel. Because, you know, just, uh, what is it, 70 or so years ago, uh, yeah, 70 years ago, or 68 years ago, 68 years ago, but I got my shoes on, I, going to count. But uh, right, uh, 68 years ago, before that, we could not say that isn't it great that there's a land of Israel and that, and that uh, one can um, be appreciative of what the land produces. Now, actually, technically we could uh, because uh, there have always been Jewish farmers uh, in the land, but it was not called Israel. It was not the land of Israel. Uh, and, uh, uh, but that, you know, that actually is, that's another important piece of history. But the, uh, the fact is, is that it's only in our day that there is a land of Israel when, uh, people can, um, uh, celebrate this. So I was talking to Jason early this morning about how, uh, on the Moshav, the little vill- uh, farming uh, community where he lives when he's, you know, not on the army base. Uh, how uh, Shavuot is celebrated. Well, like most holidays, the uh, like spiritual overtones are not that prevalent. But uh, it's, a, uh, it's a farming town, so they have like a parade. And they have a parade with all the farming equipment, you know, and, uh, and celebrating the, uh, the Moshav and celebrating, uh, you know, what they grow and just having that, that kind of, uh, of celebration. So that that was rather interesting. I wish there was more of a spiritual uh, emphasis, but there is an appreciation uh, of uh, of Eretz Yisrael, of, of the land and uh, and what they uh, what they grow. And uh, boy, in Israel, uh, they grow lots of different kinds of fruits and vegetables. And even in the Negev, you know, uh, the desert blooms uh, with a very interesting irrigation process. 
uh, that bell peppers uh, is, a, is a big commodity that comes out of the, uh, out of the Negev. The, and the Negev, if you've ever been to that part of Israel, it's, it's even farther south, really, than where we usually travel, like south of Masada, south of the Dead Sea. It is like the moon. You, you know, uh, it, it's, there is, you look at the horizon, and there's just nothing. You know, I, and so it is uh, just amazing uh, what they grow. In fact, I was um, on a previous time last year, I was on a moshav down there where they grow these bell peppers, and you leave the moshav where there's streets and like green grass, and you leave and you feel like, you know, like I, I've been on a, like an oasis, and maybe it's a mirage or something, because once you leave, it is just make sure that car is full of gas, you know, <laughs> and you got some supplies because there's nothing out there. And, uh, you know, think about that when our ancestors went from town to town, because most of the time they walked in the Bible times. The Bible, they walked. Whew. No air-conditioned buses with bottles of water on them. Nope. Uh, they, uh, they walked. And, um, so it is just amazing, uh, uh, you know, how they existed and, and how God has made uh, the, land, uh, the land blossom. So the land, of course, uh, is indeed uh, the gift of God. Now, if you're familiar with Jewish history, of course, you know that uh, because of sin uh, of a variety of different kinds, uh, our ancestors had to leave the land, right? Uh, and, uh, and, and so when they, when they had to leave the land, especially the second time in, uh, you know, after the first century and for such a very long time, there was only a very small remnant of Jewish people in the land. Uh, and so how do you observe these agricultural festivals without the land? See, this is important. There were Jewish farmers living in Babylon. And uh, if, you're, if you know the history of living in Europe, many of our people my age, you know, our age, our, our grandparents and great-grandparents were mostly farmers in little tiny shtetls in Europe, right? So, you know, I watch Fiddle Around the Roof. You see all your relatives. You know what I mean? Okay? Uh, and, uh, uh, but there was no thought that well, it doesn't matter what land it is, as long as we're farmers. No, it had to be this land. See, it had to be this land. Uh, and and so I, I, when our people, uh, for all those centuries, did not have the opportunity uh, to farm in in the land of Israel, I, a, a, a tradition arose, and that and that is the tradition that Moses received the Torah uh, at Mount Sinai on this holiday. Now, when you read the account in Exodus, it's conceivable that, that it's true. It's probably about two months from the time of the Passover to the time uh, of a Sinai. It was in this uh, approximate time period, but there is nothing in the text that tells us for absolute sure that, that this was indeed the day. But nevertheless... This is when uh, it is, it is uh, remembered. And, and it's significant because by remembering 
the Torah, by remembering the promise of God, that is, in a way, remembering the land. And when the uh, rabbis came up with, you know, all the different rules and regulations of how to celebrate holidays, the idea was supposed to be that you would think that even though you're somewhere else, you're, you're hundreds or thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, that by observing the Torah and remembering these events, these historical events, that you were, in a sense, you were there. Or not only, not, not if, 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 if we didn't understand that we were there, at least that here is like a, uh, a little down payment of the future to come and that we will return to the land. And so the remembering of the, of the uh, giving of the Torah is, uh, uh, is very significant. Because remember, the Torah is the vehicle for how to live in the promised land. And so even though we may not have a promised land, this was the thinking all those centuries, we may not have a promised land, but by knowing the Torah, by studying it and, and uh, playing it out uh, in, in light of the interpretations of the rabbis, it would be sort of like metaphysically being in the land by, by living this out no matter where we were, no matter where we might be. But you see, we live in a day, wow, that there is an Eretz Yisrael. There is a land of, of Israel. I, and, uh, you know, I will say that, yes, it came by the hand of God, but it also came by the uh, tenacity of, uh, of, of the Jewish people in unbelief, actually fulfilling this calling of returning. Uh, uh, we went to a, um, a very interesting museum called the Palmach uh, Museum. It's brand new, interactive uh, museum, and it's about without going into all the details, part of the fighting force of the Haganah before there was an, before there was an army, before there was a state, uh, there was a, a militia, okay? Uh, and it's the story of this small group that played such a strategic role uh, for over about a 10-year period from about really about 1939 to about 1949. A uh, very important role in the formation of the state. And and I, you know, it was a very uh, a difficult time. And this, one of the things we learn is the struggle, the struggle for the land and the struggle that even continues to this day. And it is amazing how God in his providence has the Jewish people really, by and large, in unbelief in this land uh, and maintaining this land uh, by the providence of God, oftentimes in, in unbelief. Uh, and it just goes to show you the faithfulness of God uh, uh, toward the people in relationship to this land. Uh, and certainly in Israel, there's a remnant of believers and many messianic uh, uh, congregations, actually, and more and more believers. Uh, but we, and we do look forward to that day when there will uh, indeed, when uh, the, all the Jewish people will return from the four corners of the earth uh, and return to the land of Israel, and God will indeed uh, pour out uh, his, uh, his Spirit. And it is amazing, as we will learn more tomorrow at our uh, special uh, uh, service for Shavuot, about how, isn't it interesting, when you go back to Leviticus 23, and we'll, we'll kind of finish on this, in Leviticus chapter 23... You see, the, there's some anomalies in, this, in the way this holiday is observed. 
you have these uh, two loaves of bread baked with leaven, kind of unusual, right? So it's amazing that on this, on this Hebrew date of this holiday, centuries and centuries after these words were uttered by Moses, you come to the Brit Hadashah, to the uh, second chapter of the book of Acts, and you read, amazingly, and when Shavuot had come, when the Feast of Pentecost had come, on this very day of remembering the goodness of God in um, providing for the people, you know, the, the, the provision of the, that the land uh, gave, the goodness of God that came from the land, On that very same day, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. I won't take the time to read the rest of it, but they understood each other. They were Notice, it's very important to get, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And then it describes lots of places where these Jewish people were from. What is amazing about that is that, that just as uh, in Leviticus, there is a celebration of the land and of the goodness of God in the land, We read in lots of places in the prophets how the Jewish people would return to the land and the land would flourish and and, and God would bless the land and and the the Lord, the King himself, would sit on his throne uh, in Jerusalem uh, in the land. That the land continues to play this very important role. And so it is interesting that in the second chapter of Acts, in the land, you see... This, in a sense, like a microcosm, a little picture of the end. Jews, as it says, uh, from every nation under heaven, who have had this experience of the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. Read the book of Joel. Read the book of Zechariah. Read the book of Hosea. Read the book of Isaiah. And you see, this is what is promised at the end. But you see, when Yeshua came and he rose from the dead, and then 50 days later, on Shavuot, the Spirit of God was indeed poured out. You have once again this celebration of the land. In the land, the Spirit of God is poured out. And what does the, uh, uh, what does the Spirit of God do for us? The presence of the Spirit, like the Torah is not an end unto, in regard to the Spirit himself, but a vehicle for living out life in the promised land. And so here we see this tremendous uh, picture of the fulfillment of what the Bible says and what the tradition says. It's fascinating that here they are celebrating uh, in the land itself and not the pouring, not the uh, giving of the Torah by uh, Moses, but the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh, the placing of the Torah in, the, in their inward parts, the new covenant. 
And so you have an inauguration, yes, at the resurrection, but more fully on this day, on Shavuot, of the new covenant. And later uh, this evening and mostly uh, tomorrow in our service, we'll talk about uh, the relationship of, of this passage in Acts and what's really going on here uh, as a celebration of, of Shavuot. But what the takeaway for us is when we celebrate Shavuot, let us remember that God is faithful and that uh, he uh, has returned Jewish people to the land of Israel. That the land uh, itself uh, bears fruit now. Uh, we also saw, by the way, we saw wheat growing in, uh, in Israel. It looks very different than wheat that grows here. But we saw wheat growing uh, in, in, the, in the promised land. And let that be a reminder to us of the faithfulness of God in that just as he is faithful to the Jewish people in his covenantal promises of land, so he has been faithful in his covenantal promises of a king and of, a, and, and, uh, and of life in Messiah. Uh, and so uh, as we see here in the book of Acts, may we rejoice that on Shavuot, God poured out the Ruach HaKodesh and, uh, and, uh, and we ourselves uh, can rejoice in the goodness of the land, in the goodness of God, in the provision indeed that he has given us. And uh, this evening, we're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to talk about the book of Ruth uh, tonight, which is a, tra- uh, a book traditionally read on Shavuot because of its um, uh, agricultural background, but also uh, because of uh, uh, what's going on in that book. And we're going to see some things tonight, in a, maybe from a little different point of view uh, than we usually look at the book of Ruth. And then tomorrow in our Shacharit service, we'll talk about more about uh, the typology of the loaves of bread in um, uh, Leviticus 23 and as it relates to the new covenant. But let us rejoice that God indeed is our provider. And as we read in the book of James, we ourselves are, as it were, the first fruits of a full harvest uh, that uh, God is cultivating uh, to this day. Let's pray. Lord to God, we thank you that uh, you continually provide Thank you, Lord, that the land is a land of provision. Thank you, Lord, that that land demonstrates your faithfulness in what, it's, what comes out of the land and what takes place on the land. Lord, I pray uh, that we would see ourselves, in a sense, as the harvest. As Yeshua said, you say there are four months and then comes the harvest. I tell you that the that uh, the land is ripe for harvest now. And Lord, um, uh, thank you, Lord, that he sent out his disciples to gather in the harvest. And thank you that to this day we are part of that harvest, uh, Lord, of uh, Messiah followers. And uh, God, we thank you uh, and we look forward to that day, Lord, when uh, uh, all of uh, uh, Israel will be in the land of Israel, And Lord, when the Sar Shalom, when the Prince of Peace shall rule on his throne. And uh, Lord, uh, and we thank you, God, for these great truths. uh, And we thank you for Messiah Yeshua, who, who, who makes it indeed come to pass. We pray.